UMGoBlue.com. By fans, for fans. Since 1999. Hello, welcome to this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This will be Michigan football by the numbers. We're going to discuss Michigan's 24-17 loss to Notre Dame. With us today is Clint Derringer. Clint, what did you think about that game? Well, uh, my first uh, thoughts or, or emotions were very similar to every other Wolverine. You know, I, it's frustrating. It felt like a lot of uh, more of the same. And, uh, you know, you're immediately searching for answers and what does this mean in the greater scheme of things. So all of those things, you know, were, were running hot, boiling over uh, the night of the game, Saturday night. So I, I was glad actually, that I had the numbers to, to kind of dive into and be able to start trying to think logically about it and, and look at it from a different angle because just like everybody else, the, uh, the TV screen was making me, uh, making me pretty upset. Well, I will tell you, it wasn't any more entertaining or easier to see if you were there. Um, so it was, it was frustrating all the way around. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that, like as you said, Many Wolverines were upset. Some people got a little too upset, but uh, definitely a lot of emotions boiling over as that game played out. Yeah, and I, I started out my, uh, my article this week um, by saying this, and I think it's important that we say it uh, many times as, as is relevant. It, we all as fans certainly have our, our right to our opinions and, and to express them. Um, you know, how we see fit. You know, I'm not going to tell anybody what to think or feel or what to say. Um, but I think it's important that we maintain perspective on, on the fact that we are still all on the same team and pushing for the same program. And I, I think that it's important also to, uh, to show some level, some base level of respect for the people inside the program, especially the players and the coaches. And, uh, that what I've seen circulating uh, recently to kind of illustrate this point is, uh, believe me, the players and the coaches hate losing as much, if not more, than anybody else. You know, and, and I think everybody needs to remember that. You know, they are not imposing these feelings on us. They, they Those locker rooms are, are very uh, somber and, and angry and frustrated also. So um, remember these things when, uh, you know, when you get on there to, to express your own opinions, you're certainly allowed to do so. Just just try to carry yourself as uh, the leaders and best should, um, even when when being critical. You know, it's, it's it's certainly fair to be critical of the program because uh, they deserve it. You know, in a lot of ways right now. I think that's a great point, Clinton. One of the things that I've seen from you know following the program as I have close up the last. You know, the last 10 years or so now, is that there is nobody anywhere who feels a loss more than the players. And I think that um, you'll see fans go off and, and uh, you know, and fans is short for fanatics, which, you know, I'm always reminded of. But, you know, the guys in the locker room are living this every day. You know, they're, they're the ones putting in the time. They're the ones with the bruises and the, and the hurt. And the, and the putting in the work hours and hours, year, you know, you know, years and years to prepare for this moment. 
Nobody got up on Michigan's team Saturday morning and said, hey, let's go lose to Notre Dame. That, that's not how it works. So right. I think that it's, you know, it's good to, to be able to, to look at some of the positives and break down what happened in the game and, and uh, see where we are moving forward. So, uh, so what, did you, what did you take away when you looked at the uh, uh, game and, and applied your methodology? When I, when I was looking at it, and I, I posted this in the article, you, you, we were looking at the five factors again, the, the components uh, of what makes up the S&P Plus rankings on a week-to-week basis. Um, explosiveness, efficiency, field position, and um, turnovers, uh, which I also mixed in penalties. Uh, from that perspective, it certainly did look like more of the 2017 problems. It looked like, first of all, the game plan was geared towards being efficient in terms of staying on offense, staying in front of the chains, right? Good chunks on first and second down, third and manageable, keep moving the chain. And and they were more successful than 2017's version of the offense was in terms of being uh, efficient. And, and I think that it went a little bit under the radar. The, the stats, uh, the rushing stats after sacks and that botched field goal come out, you, you see that they ended up with 56 or 58 yards rushing, of course. But like I said in, in my article, when you look at what they averaged on first down, first of all, they called just as many runs as they did passes. I know most people felt like they only ran on first down. That's not true. It was almost exactly 50-50. And they were successful on first down. They averaged over five yards uh, a play on first down. So they were efficient. They were executing the game plan as as they, they intended. Um, but when that's your game plan, when your game plan is to move the sticks and stay in front of the chain, uh, back-to-back unsuccessful plays are... They, they break down your, your rhythm. They break down both your schedule and the, the plays that you have in the game plan to call when you're in third and long or, or second and long or behind the sticks. That changes, and now you're, you're not, not doing what you want to be doing. Those are the plays that I think we as Wolverine fans zoomed in on and remember because those are the, the frustrating ones. When, when there were major breakdowns by the offensive line, there were sacks, you know, the uh, Patterson not throwing the ball away and getting sacked, um, taking a field goal attempt away. These, these types of is what made it feel like the same problems from 2017. But the numbers, when when looking at it play by play, they were they were markedly different in in the fact that the offense was successful more than it was not. Now that, that doesn't win that doesn't win the football game. Points win football games, so. You have to convert when you get down into scoring position, and that was the most glaring thing. It's it's really strange to me in terms of the narrative or the national media. We kind of defaulted to the same old offense and can Harbaugh do it. But, man, you had the, the absolutely horrific botched snap. You know, a player just dropped the ball. That cost you a, a chance at points, right? You had the fact that you didn't even get to try a kick. You had Gentry drop a ball in the end zone um, when we did. So so we left hard and not statistical, made up, you know, theoretical points. <laughs> those are points. You know, those are those are actual scoreboard, can win the game points that we left sitting out there. 
and, and that I think is not being talked about um, as much uh, because we're so used to the the offense being uh, underwhelming and that narrative that we just kind of sunk right into it as as a fan base. And I, I I don't think that it makes. After looking at the numbers, I don't think that it is the same. This is not the same offense with the same problem. You know, the the thing that I took away is. You know, when we talked about preparing for the game, um, Michigan and Notre Dame were, were very evenly matched when you look at the stats heading in. And, and I know we were looking at last year's stats, but that's what we had to, to look at. So, you know, you have two teams that you assume are going to be equally matched. You go on the road, so you kind of give the nod to the, to the home team. And we had those two you know, touchdowns we gave up in the first quarter. So basically, you're starting from 14 points in the hole on the road against a, a, a pretty talented squad. And and then, like you said, you have the points that you left on the field. Um, you know, really, you know, I, I know that like, the, the, the stats don't take into account momentum, but, you know, when Michigan came out in the second half after that, you know, getting that really beautiful, long, um, 99-yard return in the second quarter, and it was like, okay, they weathered the storm, they came out after the half, and they moved down the field, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is what we wanted to see. This is a Michigan team that has made adjustments at halftime, and, and they're clicking. And then, you know, you have that, that shortened goal, and, you, you know, forget about scoring, you, you don't score anything, you actually kind of, uh, you know, fall apart a little bit. So, it was interesting because when I looked at the stats, just the overall, you know, the Colts stats, the teams are almost equally, I mean, almost completely even. And uh-huh. it, it was really frustrating because, as we said, it didn't feel that way when you're watching the game. But when you look at it coolly and analytically, it's like, boy, you know, if a couple plays. I'll tell you what I took away from those first two, two touchdowns that they gave up is that, you know, there was the one play where uh, Notre Dame converted on third down in the shadow of their own end zone. And if you break down photos of the play and video of the play, all three Michigan rushers were, were pretty profoundly held. Now, we know that happens pretty much on every play, and that is not something that you, that's not an excuse. But, you know, what I took away from it was here you have a, a team that's used to practicing against itself. And I wonder if they were ready for that that matter of gamesmanship. And later they adjusted to it. They broke off the holds like you're trained to do. But, you know, if, if they're able to stop that third down play, Notre Dame is punting from their end zone and, and you have a whole different dynamic. But, you know, I, I do have to give Notre Dame credit. I never expected them to come out and throw like that. Um, that was that was somewhat of a surprise. And I think it was pretty risky. Uh, worked out for them, but... You know, there are a couple times Michigan just missed interceptions, and yeah, oh, sorry, a couple, couple points um, that spin off of what you're saying. And first of all, I agree. Um, Got to give Notre Dame a lot of credit, especially Wimbush. The knock on Wimbush being less than a 50 percent passer. I tell you what, he wasn't a great, uh, uh, accurate passer on Saturday, but he definitely hit the throws that he should have hit. I didn't see uh, anybody like some slants and some in routes, uh, even ones that didn't end up getting completed. I think he threw them on time and he threw them on target on top of how well he ran the ball. So you definitely got to give um, a tip of the hat to 
Wimbush in particular, and, and Notre Dame's scheme coming out. They, they, they moved the ball immediately on Michigan's defense before they had a chance to to adjust. And then that being said, uh, Michigan's defense, when I was looking at the stats, again, kind of made me made me more frustrated because it was a greater letdown of my expectations in terms of their performance, both in the micro stats, the analytics, and obviously uh, with score. So the fact that Michigan gets the ball for the second time in the game and they're in a 14-point hole, that's, that's tough. That's not what we – that's not what the game plan was to try to be successful with our offense. Knowing what we had and knowing that we weren't going to be able to protect long enough to really push the ball down the field, um, the defense – didn't, didn't do their part in the first quarter, plain and simple. And the other thing is we're still seeing schematically some of the same problems. We're still seeing a linebacker lined up on a receiver in the slot on third and long. Wimbush, or I'm sorry, uh, Furbush got caught uh, on a long third down in the first half, and Josh uh, Uche got caught in the second half, um, but the, the receiver got the ball, went through his arms. So um, I think Don Brown's got to do something that um, something like a change-up, some type of, of schematic difference that uh, he can't be beaten so uh, consistently by the good teams in the first half. Um, last year we talked a lot about they, they wore down in the second half because the offense was bad. Okay. But in the first half, these teams are, are finding a chink in the armor and putting points on the board. They know they've got limited opportunities and they're hitting those opportunities for points. And, and I think we need to tighten that down, especially in the big games, um, from the defensive standpoint. It's very, very important uh, if, if Michigan's going to be able to accomplish what they want to accomplish. Now, another positive takeaway I had from the game is as I went and watched the game the second time, and I, and I, you know, I watch the game when I'm there, I watch the game on tape, and I, and I don't listen to the commentary you know, I just I just watch it. Michigan's quarterback play was a lot better than last year. I know the one thing that I'm I'm kind of cringing at, or I'm kind of I'm puzzled by, is everybody's like, "Oh, it's just last year all over again." And you know, I thought we saw two functional quarterbacks. Now there's still some some trouble on the offensive line. I mean, that is consistent from last year, um, but again, it wasn't the uh, the total disaster. I mean. You know, we didn't throw three or four interceptions. We, you know, and those were the kind of things we did see last year, especially at the end. So, I mean, I, I have hope right now. I mean, again, they got they have to get a lot better, but it, the quarterback play wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it might have been when I when I went back and just watched and isolated every play. Yep, I, I agree with you. Uh, the same comment that I made about Wimbush, Notre Dame's quarterback, applies to ours. You know, they made the throws that they should have made on those rollouts, um, some of those quick uh, hitters, some of the play-action stuff. Uh, there were a couple RPOs uh, mixed in there um, that the ball came out on time and on target, and that's what you're asking your quarterback to do. And, and both, I agree, Patterson and um, McCaffrey uh, executed. Um, I, was, I was extremely, extremely pleasantly surprised that our third-string quarterback um, showed that he's functional and, and capable. Um, we, we've certainly seen that depth matters, 
and and uh, and I don't think anybody was surprised that it was going to show right away. I think most people were surprised that it wasn't Peters. But now hearing that he's dinged up, it's it's at least one sigh of relief to know that we're we're going to be functional. Um, even if, if if asked to to put our backups in the game for spot duty or, or you know uh, hopefully that's it. Um, uh, regarding the offensive line, another positive um, that that I saw when I was looking at the film is that they have certainly switched to a zone blocking team. Uh, last year uh, they started out trying to run inside zone, outside zone of. Uh, that was uh, what Greg Fry was was brought in to try to help install, and I don't know whether it was a lack of 100% commitment to the zone scheme, or if it was just a quick reversion that zone wasn't producing the results that they wanted, so they went back to the to the power and, and the other gap blocking schemes. Um, but last year, through half the season, we eventually abandoned the zone installation uh, out of necessity. This year. Through spring and fall camp, you've installed the zone running blocking scheme as your base play, which is very necessary to be able to try to leverage what Shea Patterson is good at. So I think that is a huge positive. Now, the rushing stats, again, are are not going to bear out right now that they they were absolutely successful, but they were not. They were not nearly as um, as challenged in terms of missing blocks and not understanding how to communicate and coordinate on the inside uh, for the zone blocking scheme. That's a huge, huge benefit. Um, and also, because the other thing about zone that allows us uh, as an offensive coordinator, the, the zone blocking scheme allows us to leave a lot of times somebody unblocked, and that's the person that you're optioning, of course. Many times, this is the end man on the line of scrimmage. This means that you're you're giving your tackles, where we know we are the weakest on the offensive line, you're giving them down blocks or or, or easier blocks. You're you're not giving them the hardest responsibility um, on those inside zones. You're you're reading that guy rather than asking your tackle to beat the guy in front of him so as we continue to build on the foundation that's there offensively I do think statistically that you'll be able to see more and more success Um, obviously in the coming weeks uh, we expect to see that but I think when we get into the Big Ten schedule you're also going to see the fruits of of the, the labor that is being put in right now to actually install that scheme all the way Systematically, what is the one thing you're looking for an improvement in when we see them match up against Western next week? That's that's a great question. I think specifically what I'm looking for is to be able to attack, um, as I'm looking at it, be able to attack all six areas of the field uh, in the passing game. In the passing game, and what I mean is, uh, you've got short and deep, and left, middle, and right. Those six zones. If we can show one way or the other, that we we can hit a defense in all six of those areas, then they have to scheme completely, right? We, we don't take half the field away because of our own ineptitude, um, which I think we did last year because of the weak quarterback play. So what I'm looking for um, these next couple weeks is to show that we've got some stuff that's quick out of the backfield, um, some underneath routes, all, all the short stuff. I think we, we showed that we... We have a, a scheme that's going to attack that short stuff. 
we did attack down the field at one time to Nico Collins and, and, and was successful, I'd like to show that we can go underneath that deep in the middle there. I'd like to see some big routes and, and some other things that show that we can attack all six of those zones in the passing game um, to really make the defense cover the entire field. We, if we can do that in the next two weeks, we make it much tougher on the Big Ten defensive coordinators, and that's when, when I think uh, the running game also will open up. One of the things that I would like to see, and it, it may sound defeatist, but when the quarterback is under pressure, I want to see him successfully get rid of the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was the thing that kind of, you know, it's one thing. Blocking is always going to break down. You can't protect forever. But the protection was breaking down so quickly that especially on that, that shortened goal, um, Patterson was, was running for his life right out of the get-go. And, you know, as bad as the sack was, you don't want to throw an interception down there either or a pick six all the way back. So I, I'm, I want to see more consistent pass pro. And, um, and when it does break down, I want to see Patterson or whoever's in be able to throw the ball away competently to, to hold field position. Um, and, and that's something, you know, we, we didn't see that a lot last year. We saw a lot of hurried throws and, and interceptions and bad things happening. So, again, I, I you know, I, I was actually kind of uh, encouraged by the quarterback play once I was, you know, able to get over the disappointment of the game. And uh, I'm looking forward to, to more improvement as, as we move through the next couple of games here. I, I agree. I, I maintain a certain level of optimism, especially over these next couple of weeks, and uh, looking forward to it. And I will, uh, I'll try to try to give a little bit more insight um, into exactly how well we accomplish those things coming up this soon. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. By the numbers, this is Phil Callahan, along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.